Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institution of Engineering and Technology. This week's special guest is Ella Podnor. Ella is a materials engineer at McLaren Automotive. She discusses her professional journey from walking into her first job at McLaren after university to winning the Young Women Engineer of the Year Award in 2020. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Engineering Stories. I'm Alex, the head of R&D at Silver Fox. Alongside me today, I've got Nicoletta. Hello, I'm Nicoletta and I'm an electrical and electronics student, uh, second year at the University of Greenwich. Brilliant. And our special guest today is Ella Podmore. Ella, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi. Yes, thanks, Alex. My name is Ella Podmore and I'm a materials engineer working for the supercar brand McLaren Automotive and was fortunate enough to win Young Women Engineer of the Year 2020. Brilliant. As you've mentioned it, let's start with the Young Women Young Women Engineer of the Year. That's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> what, it's a tongue twister. What was that like winning that? Oh, do you know, it was mental. I mean, you never think that these things are going to happen to you, right? And I was up against some incredible candidates. And we're talking people who are out there coming up with like life-saving uh inventions and medical devices and I was just so sort of honoured to be a part of the whole experience but in reality I make fast cars for very rich people (laughs) I wasn't doing any like life-saving stuff here so um, I really didn't think I was going to win it to be honest with you but I absolutely love my job and I think hopefully that came across in the application that I absolutely live and breathe everything that I do Um, I give a a huge amount of my time back to STEM related subjects school students because I know what it's like being a woman in that space and I know what it's like um, entering like a male dominated industry but also not understanding like if people like me did the kind of thing that I'm doing at the moment so I really wanted to get that across to all the schools and uh, colleges and universities and I think they picked that up but yeah the whole experience was incredible it was all done remotely which was a bit weird so I won the award in my living room (laughs) um it didn't have the nice did you get dressed up for it oh yeah I even wore heels Alex they couldn't see it but I wore heels I only met them sort of a year after the whole thing happened they were like you're really short and I was like yeah <laughs> you've given it to me so you can't take it back um but yes incredible experience thank you thank you for asking and so how, what's the process like do, do you apply do you get nominated yes so you have to apply yourself and it's similar sort of on online application procedure which you guys would have done before for jobs internships whatever it may be But you have to get your boss, like a recommendation from your boss, and they have to fill out um, a form and everything. And I remember I got recommended on Twitter. Someone approached me and was like, you should really apply for this. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. Obviously, seeing the previous candidates, and you always compare yourself to them, don't you? And I had a word with my boss in one of my performance reviews. And he was like, do you know what? You should go for it. And that year, I'd made quite an impact at McLaren there aren't many well I'm the only materials engineer here and that year I had really put in some graft about creating this department and the facilities the the lab stuff that I use and so he was he sort of said like go for it you know if you can't get it this year then um you've had such an impact on us this year and I've got a lot to talk about so try it and he wrote me a stellar review and I'm so grateful. I honestly see him most days now and I'm like, thank you. Um, but it helps, right? You know, when you have a, an appreciative manager and someone who you can really aspire to be and he really, really helped me finish that application off. And then you have an interview and you do a presentation so they can assess whether you can do like public speaking stuff because when you're in the limelight a little bit, you've got a you know attend conferences and talk about your craft and then also on your technical ability as an engineer as well um and then after that happened i got announced (laughs) brilliant brilliant so did you say you're the only materials engineer at mclaren yes yeah at the supercar brand yep yep that is true so there's a lot of a lot of responsibility on your shoulders it is can you imagine this was the first job i walked into after university and I had a double whammy of being a woman 
in the the supercar space, which is still, I mean, we talk about automotive industry being male dominated, supercars, <laughs> petrol heads is even even worse still. So um, fresh from university, entering a company like that, of course, is going to be a tough one. But entering a space where you are the only one of your technical craft and you're having to change the opinions of people who have been making material related problems or choices um, for the last eight years and you're coming in being like, oh, actually, I think we should make it from this and we should shave four kilos off this and blah, blah, blah. And being a young woman in that space, people are looking at me like, who is she? (laughs) And that was tough, right? I learned... I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about um, how people interaction should occur and business all thrown into one. So it was tough. It was a really, I had to learn quick. Um, mm. But hey, I don't, I don't regret anything. I think it's, it's shaped me to be the person who I am today. And I'm do, really lucky. do you think those people saying, who, who the hell are you? Was it because you were a woman? Was it because you were young? Was it just a complete combination of both? I think it's a combination of both, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's a double whammy. And I, yeah, I was making sort of big decisions in terms of what material choices we should make and how we should fault analyse things that were coming off development cars and stuff like that. Mm. So I think I've had cases of both. You know, I do a lot of STEM work. I, do, I get invited to speak at a lot of... Um, female in tech conferences and stuff like that and of course that initiates sort of comments being like oh well you're only invited because you're a woman blah 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 and so of course every woman in the space sort of um, has to deal with some of that but hey it's opened opportunities and I say when I go and speak to young girls aspiring students who want to get into the engineering industry and space like you can look at that and be you can take two approaches, right? You can sort of be embarrassed and be like, oh my God, there is a spot, spotlight on me and uh, I just don't want to be, I don't want to have people watching what I do um, or you can rise to it. And I think mm. I just went for it anyway. And yes, there was a spotlight on me. Yes, I got invited along to female-only conferences, but that gave me confidence and that opened doors up and I was flown across the world to speak at Grand Prix and things like that. And it was... absolutely amazing and to sort of to answer your second point it um, the profession that we're in I mean we're on an engineering podcast the profession that we're in we are in a fortunate position where if it's not your opinion against mine right so I would be in a big meeting only woman in the room only material scientist in the room and uh, I would probably make a suggestion and I'd be like oh no I'm not sure about that we've always done it this particular way And so it just meant in those first few months or year of me being here, I had to go a little bit deeper. So my reports are a bit longer. I had to compare against literature. I had to prove out the science to build that reputation and that trust in me. Um, And now, hopefully, (laughs) I think so. I think they all sort of um, understand that I I do what I do and and I've sort of earned a reputation now where they, they can take that without sort of questioning me like, oh, where's she coming from? What does a material scientist do? <laughs> that is actually a good question. You said you're a material engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? What's your responsibility? What do you do at McLaren? Yeah, so I'm responsible for all material-related investigations in the business. Um, and the, the brilliant thing about that is that I'm not really limited as to where I work. So we have generally interior-focused engineers, exterior, body exterior-focused engineers, um, but actually it means that I can cover all of that throughout the whole product development phase. So if we think about how a car is made and we think right back to the beginning where the designers are starting to put pen to paper and they're starting to shape how the car looks, for instance, I would often get involved in conversations at the beginning if they want to a particular appearance or surface finish on a component then they'd ask me what would you suggest if we want high gloss or what would you suggest if it's got to be this big cast molding and we need to make it six kilos lighter than the previous project so I'd be engaged in those topics but then also as we move along to prototype build and we're testing and we're validating quite often it would be my my uh, responsibility to test 
these materials, get them sent off for mechanical testing, solar loading, um, orange juice, ketchup, sunscreen testing, all these like unusual substance, corrosive substances that you'd find in the car. Um, and if you're doing like leather testing and stuff like that. So all the way through until when customers get their cars in the field, sometimes I get calls out to dealerships across the country and in Europe to have a look at cars that may have under suffered like a material related issue or something like that so you can see like the breadth um of the 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 sort of scope that I get to work with and that's why it's such a unique thing here I don't get pigeonholed um and I get to work with all different types of materials so I absolutely love it but it's very practical that's how I would explain it about 60% of my time is actually in the lab doing experimental work well quite cool i think that's probably en- every engineer's dream yeah um, exactly. i know a lot i know a lot of engineers especially in automotive just end up taking off the shelf parts and going yeah that'll that'll fit on in the car and that'll do so they don't actually get to do any any proper we'll call it proper engineering yeah um so and yeah that must be really cool it's great and you, you're right you know that the, the world of designing components putting components on is all CAD driven, software driven, simulation driven now as well. So I am hugely grateful that I ended up choosing the path that I, that I took because I spend my time putting something in a vice and smashing it up <laughs> and seeing how it reacts <laughs> and then looking at it under a microscope. So very, very lucky, but also it's a big plug for um, any students listening to become materials engineers. So uh, you said you might have some customers saying they want a specific finish and McLaren is quite like a luxurious company. Have you had any really, really extravagant requests? Do you have like a a favorite project or a favorite material you worked with or a challenging one? That's a really good question. And you're absolutely right. About 80 80 to 90% of all Senna models sold, which is a particular type of car, were personalised. So people love to put their stamp on their own vehicles and that can come in the form of a bespoke colour, a unique fabric they want to use on the interior, anything that they want stitched into the seats, things like this. And, um, God, I've worked with some wacky materials. I mean, we've had (laughs) exhausts that are plated in 24 karat gold, and uh, the customer has been adamant that they want their exhaust tips all in gold and things like that. And of course, we go, yes, yes, no problem. And then they come to me and they're like, Ella, <laughs> how can we make this work? Yeah. I know. And, um, and we've had unique situations where, yeah, it's often gold, diamond, cashmere. We've had cashmere interiors, ostrich leather seats, you know, you name it, we've worked with it. Um, but I think that the... The greatest, most bougiest project, I would probably say, was the McLaren Speedtail. Now, this was a hyper GT car that retailed for about 2.1, 2.2 million pounds. And it just meant every everything on there was a design element. So we designed that car to have impact. Yes, it was going to do really fast speeds in a straight line. But, you know, the front badge alone is made out of platinum gold. And that front badge, which was probably about this big, was worth... 10, 10, 12,000 pounds. And I was given a few of them to to work on in the lab with little gloves. And I was like, goodness me. Is it infuriating having customers go, oh, I'd like gold-plated exhaust pipes, please? Um, Because presumably, I mean, just from knowledge, you know, car manufacturers are super proud. We've shaved four kilos off this car. 10 kilos off this car and then suddenly someone comes along and goes can you put the heaviest metals around <laughs> on my car please because it's that's too fast that's a funny question yeah that's such a funny question um do you know what i don't really get angry about it i mean it's it's funny that you pick up on it not many people do but we channel millions into light weighting research and carbon fiber analysis and stuff and then we do get like platinum stitching yeah. <laughs> in seats or like completely uh, elaborate um, designs being stitched into the seats and stuff. And as you quite rightly picked up, we are a car company that prides ourselves on being like the lightest supercar that money can buy, really. So um, that's really funny. I don't get frustrated because 
for me, it's a challenge. Like these surface mm. treatments, these bespoke options, it's just so fun. And quite often, the customers that end up receiving these cars have big presence either on YouTube or Instagram or whatever and you're like look there it is there's the car that I worked tirelessly yeah. in the lab on and stuff like that and it all it all um works its its way out but um yeah maybe some other engineers would get frustrated with that that's a really good point <laughs> I, I definitely would I, I've I've just worked in the lab for three hours trying to work out how to get this down by 100 grams and now you're making me put on gold yeah. <laughs> whatever so how how did you decide material engineering? It's quite a niche. It is. It is. And it worked out for me because I didn't want to faff around with general engineering and um, I didn't want to sort of be on a broad degree subject that I narrowed it down because I, I kind of, I was fortunate enough in the sense throughout school, I knew that what an engineer did and I think that was growing up with my dad, growing up with um, the brothers that I had, that I sort of understood what an engineer did. And during school, I loved science and I was like, right, okay, so I understand what I need to do to become an engineer, but like, how can I combine my love for chemistry? That was my main subject that I loved. How can I apply everything that I really love about chemistry, but also apply it to an engineering degree? And, you know, the things that I recommend to students to do now is to just go out there and research. We've got so many resources at our disposal now that you can get quite a good idea of what's available out there, all the TEDx talks that you can listen to, the people in different fields, what their job entails. Like, there's so much that you can do. And during those last three years in school I, every sort of evening I was out doing like an open day in um, in the city that I was in or like doing an online course and just really getting a feel for what was out there and I, I found that chemical engineering and some elements of materials engineering really tailored to the, the things that I was passionate about so those were the kind of two avenues that I explored mm. um, and then I did some free open days and stuff on those subjects and realised that going to be biased but materials engineering is going to change the world <laughs> and I was like gosh this subject's incredible and what I liked in particular is that it did even though it was quite a niche field it allowed me to do pretty much anything and anyone who's listening and it's sort of wants to know like what materials engineering does and where they end up it can literally take you anywhere because everything's made out of something I can be in McLaren for well four years now specializing in corrosion science understanding aluminiums but that aluminium is still going to be the same um, whether it's on a, a rocket ship or whether it's on a submarine or whether it's on a supercar like mm. the way that I understand a material is never going to change and I really like that that I can apply that to multiple sectors um, of the engineering industry so that kind of kept my doors open and then um yeah, I guess I, I went off to uni, went off to study it at the University of Manchester, and it's it's still very broad. I know it sounds quite niche, but when you get to uni, you can choose between whether you want to be more chemistry-focused. So for me, that was ding-ding. I wanted to be nanotechnology, surface treatments, corrosion science, all that like nitty-gritty molecular understanding, that chemi chemistry background. And then, of course, other classmates um, wanted to go down a, a physics-focused route, maybe understanding the mechanics of composite failure and things like that, and yeah. the stresses on, on particular materials. So I was lucky, but also I put in the work quite early on to understand what engineering division I wanted to get into. Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire and pipe labelling requirements. The Fox in a Box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 373727. So did you said you knew what engineering was because of your dad and your brothers. Are they engineers as well or are they just interested? Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I'm the oldest one. I've got two younger brothers and my dad left school at 16. So he 
never sort of went to university, but he is what I would call a tinkerer. Okay. <laughs> he tinkers, yeah. And he would take apart cars, he would fix washing machines. Like he had a very logical thought process. And growing up around him, my brothers were sort of like so fascinated about the mechanisms that he would take apart and stuff like that. Um, whereas I was just sort of fascinated about how he would like root cause analyze things. But of course, when I was young, I didn't call it that. I was just like, it was like, I was like the why girl, you know, it's like, why is that there? Why is this? Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Um, and I think it just, it, it instilled quite like a problem solving mentality in me. And even though he wasn't an engineer himself, um, he sort of told me what an engineer did and he was like well you can be an engineer an engineer fixes this fixes this or improves this makes this safe sort of thing mm. and I was like yeah that's what I want to do and it clearly had an impact on myself I'm a materials engineer my brothers are both recently graduated mechanical and automotive engineers oh, wow. <laughs> my poor mum can you imagine at the dinner table she's like She's all artsy and loves like film production. She's like, I've got three engineer kids. The table just collapses because <laughs> someone's undone a screw. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Have you ever had any doubts? You seem so sure and focused on your career, but have you ever thought, okay, maybe not this one, maybe no, maybe this is not for me? Oh gosh, I think everyone has that. I went to uni and just felt that I don't know, I had a bit of an imposter syndrome when I first got there. I went from an all-girls school where your physics class was 16 people deep, they were all women, um, and I had no problem asking questions and putting my opinion across and things like that. Went to university, um, probably a third of my course were women, and I was like, oh, this is different, but I never really knew that you know girls didn't do physics, girls didn't do this, um, and so that, that took me back. And uh, I was sort of more hesitant about asking questions and was worried, like, actually, not many girls do do this subject. Have I chosen this wrong? Should I really reevaluate this? And unfortunately, the way society has stereotyped engineers and people who work in science and tech also had a big part to play. Friends, even family members would come up to me and be like, Ella, you you don't want to work in a boiler suit all day. You don't want to be positioned in a garage. And this is them just understanding that I was going to become an engineer. They wouldn't even read into what materials engineering did. So it puts a lot of doubts in you. So that first year, of course, I was just trying to find my feet and thought, oh, I'm not really sure about this. But when you start to tailor your subject choices and when you start to pick the modules that you like and... Um, establish how it's relevant to industry then you're you're away and I think I got it halfway through my first year I was lucky in the sense that I was like yes no I have picked this correctly and um, I'm enjoying what I do but I think the big eureka moment came when I did my industrial placement year so you know how various engineering courses allow you to go and work for yeah. 12 months in a, in a company mm -hmm. and I did my third year at McLaren Automotive and um, then I started to apply what I've learned at university to real business. And I saw how we were going to save money, how we were going to make things lighter, how we were going to break speed records. And that was like, Pew! yes, I've picked the right thing. When you did your placement at McLaren, was it in materials engineering? Did they have to try and make a, a case for it? Or Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. So... There wasn't a position because they didn't really have materials engineering departments whatsoever. And they did take a chance on me. I was an engineering intern and they sort of looked at my application and uh, sort of said, look, we don't have positions available for this kind of field. What do you know about cars? And what do you know about cars? And, um, and then they sort of, I was able to describe like, you know basically how the mechanisms how everything feed, feeds what on a car and I understood like where things are located what their main objectives are as a company lightweight carbon fiber and I really toyed on those kind of material elements of it and I think you know they, t they took a chance on me and throughout those 12 months I was able to prove the need for a materials engineering division but right from that day one, I was just a general engineering intern, so I was placed in um, uh, 
process engineering to start off with and I moved into body engineering and stuff like that so and whether you were you the only intern or was there was there a cohort there were there were there were a few dotted around in finance um uh, design and various others so I had people of my age group going through a similar experience Mm. (laughs) um which is always nice yeah do you think this made you want to be involved um, with the STEM and be a STEM ambassador and part of the committee member of McLaurin's Women's Society just to promote and tell other people your story? Do you think that had an impact? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to... The main reason that I wanted to join STEM is to teach or show upcoming students who wanted to get into STEM subjects that these opportunities existed like I couldn't believe it when I arrived at this office I was like oh my goodness I can be an engineer and I can work here like the the office was crazy and every day I come in walk down all these impressive cars and I get to drive the cars now and take them out and see how they perform I'm like I can't believe this is my job (laughs) and then I speak to students who are like oh I don't think I want to do science I want to be an influencer I was like do you realize that you can drive these cars you can work and produce these cars that these influencers drive you can have you can be passionate about it you can absolutely fall head over heels for, for a job and a career in this division And I just don't think it's talked about enough. Like, science isn't cool. And it's really funny for me to sort of even think about that because here, like, we are a tech, data-driven company. Mm. And still, every day, I just think it's mental. (laughs) It's mental. I'm, like, watching Top Gear, Drive to Survive, like, all these programs just, like, in absolute awe. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm even sort of immersing myself in work when it's not really working hours. And... um, my main objective was to sort of show students that you can do what you love um anyone can be an engineer you don't have to fit a stereotype change yourself when I was talking about me joining that company all those years ago on my day one I thought that I had to be like a really shouty masculine version of myself to get all these men to listen and um and I've learned a lot since then so I really want to sort of feed that back and if there wasn't a gender disparity in this industry I wouldn't sign up to do STEM and if I hadn't signed up to do STEM I wouldn't have had all the public speaking experience that I that I got I wouldn't be featured on this amazing podcast I wouldn't have won that award you know so it's been an incredible experience for me and it's all kind of stemmed from me being the only woman in the room. So did you did you start your public speaking after you won your award or was it build up were you already doing it because of STEM yes I was already doing it because of STEM and prior to STEM I did enjoy doing a few uh, talks and stuff at um, university sit form I kind of did like a few science projects and what I think I really enjoy is detailing something that's quite complex or science heavy like I really like simplifying that for people who aren't in the field or people who wouldn't normally read into graphene or nanotech or anything like that I love teaching people about it and Mm. that I learned that in sixth form and then when we went into university and we started doing dissertation projects and you know you start presenting your thesis to your other peers and to lecturers and stuff like that and I was like wow okay I really like this and um, that sort of translated into STEM activities when I was teaching young kids about carbon fibre and allowing them to sort of experience what like a materials engineer did. I really love that too. So I think the public speaking started a long time ago without me realising it. It definitely was present before the award. I think it really helped me with the award. Mm. If anyone's listening and wants to apply, I think any practice that you can do teaching others about your job role or even speaking to, to younger students to get your confidence up it really helped me speaking to a group of nine-year-olds where they're sort of like partly listening and is a lot more like easier than speaking to a load of executives who've been in the game for like 30 plus years <laughs> so it really it gave me a confidence boost but um yeah it, it's been around for a while but it's definitely helped me get to where I am today I did see on the news today that, that mm-hmm. brownies are now introducing a coding badge um, to try and encourage more girls into STEM. I don't know whether you've seen it, but I wanted to get your your hot take on oh it. Oh my God, 
Alex, that's brilliant. I haven't seen that yet. That's fantastic. Girls Who Code. Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely fantastic. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think it can only be a good thing. I th- irrelevant. The more people who can code, I think the way the world is going, the better. A hundred percent. I mean, this company that I'm currently working for, McLaren Automotive, five years ago would only employ mechanical automotive engineers you know that was a traditional talent pool feed into an automotive Mm. company then of course i jumped on board they were like oh materials engineers they're quite useful got a few chemical engineers and they're branching out their talent pool and now we're producing hybrid cars which are effectively huge computers Mm. our computing team our coding team our software engineering team are huge everything is governed by some sort of software now i think the more people who can code or understand code um is is going to do wonders for their career absolutely yeah it's crazy to think that i mean at least in my head mclaren is a car company who's who's at the top of their game and it's difficult to think that even five years ago they only had uh just mechanical engineers doing it and it's only that's crazy it's mental isn't it i think it it is quite a unique situation in the sense that we're in an independent supercar company yeah we branched off from our sister company mclaren racing Mm -hmm. and uh we we are new to the game relatively speaking you know at that stage we were probably 10 years old when i joined um so even though they had learned the the beauty of carbon fiber from the likes of their sister company and the formula one cars um, they were still so relatively new and I think it was a, a case of me being quite ballsy with my original letter but then also right timing right right time right place and I think if anyone can learn anything from that it just shows you like if you don't ask you don't get um, take that plunge if you want to work for a particular type of company they don't have an online application send them a letter because you've got nothing to lose and that's kind of how I fell into where I am today <laughs> what what made you send a letter because i mean there are probably 10 15 supercar companies globally mm-hmm. uh, who probably already have material engineers um, and so there's probably a role for you what made you write that letter good question it was the mclaren p1 made me write that letter i had at my university halls i had this huge poster of the McLaren P1 and um, I don't know it, that car man that car is so sexy it's about <laughs> six six or seven years old and that is the sexiest car and I just looked at that and I was like oh my goodness that car is beautiful and it was on my wall because I used to watch Top Gear with my dad used to go to motorsport meets again with my dad but it was never ever anything that I considered I wanted a career in mm. it was on my wall because one day I was going to own it in my head I was like yeah I could see myself in one of those have you got one yet? Um, <laughs> no <laughs> I get to drive something quite nice but no nope. um, and uh, yeah and I looked up I was filling out all these applications and you know I was I did apply to a few other car companies but it was mainly uh, technology firms banks and mm. Um, material firms and then I remember looking up and I was like and you know what it's like when you're in that kind of rhythm of sending off all these applications every student every person ever knows what that feels like and I looked up onto my bedroom wall and I just saw this big poster of a McLaren I was like hang on (laughs) I love that car let's see if I can see if they've got anything available of course nothing online and uh, then I was just sifting through trying to find a contact found one sent off my CV, sent off a letter, waited five months. Wow. <laughs> I know. I was on the verge of accepting something else from Bentley, actually. And, uh, and then McLaren was like, come down for an interview. Let's have a chat. And the rest is history. Wow. So was that pre-placement or was that after your placement? That was for the placement. That was for your placement. Yeah, so pre-placement, yeah. Wow. So you hadn't even grad- you weren't even close to graduating. And no. you had that those kind of uh that those kind of balls to 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 just met send a letter and go i know 
thinking about it now, I was like, Christ, I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're a student, you just want anything, don't you? You're just like yeah. desperate to, to get the experience in. So it shows that you've got to do it. And we, at that time, LinkedIn wasn't really as big. It wasn't as big. You know, mm. now LinkedIn is a fantastic platform where you can reach out to people and ask questions about applications or ask questions about what they should be putting on their CV and stuff. So really, really use it, guys, if um, if anyone's in that position looking for, for placements or experience. We've got a fantastic tool there. You don't need to get the, uh, the old quill and ink out just yet. <laughs> um, have you ever had a request from a customer you couldn't meet? You had to turn down because you just couldn't make it happen? Personally, no. No, I haven't. Um, we've made it work regardless. I mean, whether it means putting on an additional clear coat layer or whatever it may be. I mean, thinking back to that 24 karat gold situation, yes, they wanted their entire exhaust yeah. system coated in gold, but what we ended up having to do is coat it, lacquer it in something else. Um, so we got there in the end, but I guess it wasn't... A, what the original plan was but yeah. um that's why yeah. because some materials are a bit um they're not so easily to change their physical properties so they mm -hmm. might not withstand such high temperatures so i thought maybe somebody wanted like the gold that's not really doable like yeah pure gold. no it's a really good question but we sort of we tend to make it work really yeah. Yeah. it really does depend on um, how much they're willing to spend, <laughs> of course. how many cars they own, <laughs> things like this. But um, yeah, it's uh, some projects are easier than others. The juicy ones do tend to take a while and often involve something like that, an additional thing that we've got to consider to put over the top or to bond to. Do you have a favorite project you worked on? Good question. Speedtail was fun, that, that one that I was talking about. We had some hugely elaborate materials on there. Um, the P1 is, is my favourite car, but I didn't work on that. That was way before my time. Um, I think 720S was the first project that I worked on from start to finish. So that was the first launch of a car that I really saw. And so that car will always have like a special place in my heart. And whenever I see it, it's like this little pang of, um, of just like feeling proud. And uh, I'm starting to see the cars more and more on the roads, you know. Mm. Pr pr a few years ago, you would sort of see one and be like, oh my gosh. But now I, I live in London and um, I frequently see them on the road and I get really excited still. But 720S is probably um, the special one for me. Oh yeah, I'll be honest. I I would love a McLaren. I don't think I don't think Mac McLaren and Aston Martin up until about two years ago had ever made an ugly car. But I don't yeah. see the point of owning one in London. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Put it out there. I know. That might be my McLaren career down the drain, but I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, I tell you what. When you experience what these cars can do, then you would think just like what you're you're saying, Alex. These cars, I mean, yes, they look pretty. They've got dihedral doors. They've got fancy interiors and stuff like that. But when you put one around the track or when you feel what they're designed to do, because yeah. our cars are designed for speed, right? They're designed for track. They're designed to be super fast. Until you experience that, then you'd just be like, why the hell would you have one in London? Just like you say. <laughs> just, I can't see it. Um, you see one and one go down a hill and hit the bottom and just scrape on it or over a speed bump mm. too fast and you're like just wince and then understand um so you said you mentioned the mclaren p1 that was the first hybrid car wasn't it if i remember rightly porsche mclaren and ferrari all bought out hybrid cars at the same time and that was that was top gear's uh thing for about a year wasn't it trying to get them all yes that's it that's it um, that was our first ever hybrid and we still look to, to the work that we did on that one today when we're launching our high performance hybrid series now so but yeah that was one of the first ones I think we that was the first one out out of those three I can't really remember but still incredible amounts of technology that went into that car that we still sort of try to replicate today and has it checked has it I'm assuming it's improved 
the one you, you were about to launch um, yes but is it how how much has it changed is it, is it still the same idea um yeah i mean they're very they're very different cars so the p1 is about speed it's about um i mean that went on sale for 990,000 pounds the car that we're launching as a hybrid today is 270,000 pounds so completely different yeah easy (laughs) add it to the shopping list um so you know different price brackets they're they're after different things this the Artura I'm talking about is the, is the new one that we're launching and that's the idea that you can drive that every day you can take that to work you can have a fun weekend in it you can um, switch it in electric mode when you come home late after work and you don't wake up the kids like it's all it's it's meant to be a car that can do everything whereas the P1 very much not like that but that was kind of an elaborate end of the scale um, in terms of technical performance the battery, I think, has obviously had a significant improvement since then. Battery technology is, is obviously a hot topic, and it's something that we really, really want to see progress quickly. Um, at currently, battery technology is not at a stage yet where a supercar can draw the, the amount of power it needs to remain solely on electric power. Mm. So we have to do hybrid technology. Um, but in terms of the charging time, the the capacity of it that of course has made significant headway since the p1 days obviously hybrid cars were a lot heavier uh, than regular internal combustion does does that make your job harder as a material engineer yeah it does actually if you're trying to make a lightweight car even lighter you have to start to get creative <laughs> in terms of where this mass is being taken out from right um and uh, i guess Yes, it's challenging, but this is where my job is going to come into its own. And I think people are starting to realise that now as well. With you know, we need more materials engineers to understand where we can remove the mass, where we can protect the battery, and where we can surface coat different things. So, yeah, it is challenging, but I'd be out of a job if it wasn't. Having obviously worked at Nissan, I know that they're obviously high volume, low margin. Do you have the opposite? Are you allowed carte blanche to go and make it lighter? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. I won't be able to disclose too much. No, but, but as it's... you can imagine, you you know, if we're working with some of the most uh, luxurious cars in the world, then we're going to be working with the most luxurious materials. Um, but then you've also got to think. Actually, we are in an independent entity so we don't have a big brother to Mm. to do the r&d we don't have like the amazing teams and secret labs where we can work on our own battery technology so we are quite governed by what's already out there in terms of electrical systems and stuff like that where we come into our own is design and creativity and how we can tailor like the laws of physics to the design that comes out the studio for instance but in terms of actual technical capability we're quite limited um, because of the size that we are but then that brings in its own unique challenges just just going back you interned at shell so how, where does that where does that fit in to your mclaren uh mclaren internship was that a summer placement or was that yeah now that was an easter internship that i did um I think it was, I can't remember how long it was, but it, yeah, it was during, definitely an Easter holiday, I remember that, and it was, I was at university, it must have been second year, second year maybe, and yeah, they had, they ran a fantastic placement scheme, internship placement scheme, where you were rotated throughout various departments, gained an insight into what the technology division did, the finance division did, they have their own engineering division there as well, Mm. and uh that gave me a great sense of how a large cooperation worked, how 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 technology fitted in with business, how business fitted in with the economy, how like all these different scenarios that we hear in the news, like how that implicates and has an effect on uh, on oil barrel pl- prices and things like that. So it was amazing. 
um, I learned a lot from that experience, but I also learned that I definitely wasn't ever going to work in oil and gas. <laughs> so I, mean, I did that, you know, and then you rule it out. And you're like, yeah. okay, fantastic. I've learned a lot from that. Um, and that's not for me. That's, that's the, I think that's, that's the point of placements. It's not only to, to gain experience, but also to, to be able to say, okay, no, this, this isn't for me, but you haven't committed hundreds of exactly. hours to do it. Exactly. And I always like to hammer that pl- point home because when people listen and they say oh you did a placement with McLaren then you went and had a job at McLaren and thinking it's all sort of um, plain sailing but actually I did so many internships and funny little things I did an insight week at Goldman Sachs I did a multiple week internship at Shell I then got placed in an Oxford hydrotechnics company where I was on a construction site. And, you know, you have to do all these little funny experiences to understand what clicks for you. And uh, I always sort of say to students, if they're wanting to get into this division, into engineering, mix it up. So, yes, I did a fancy old internship at Shell. They put me up in Canary Wharf and I had a fantastic time. We had like activities most nights and it was all very flashy and cool but then also I did a two-week placement at this Oxford construction company they had no work experience students I walked in they were like Christ what are we going to do with you (laughs) (laughs) and and I laugh about it but actually um the responsibility that I got from that because Mm. I was on construction sites they were putting me in to inject catalysts um, into waterworks and stuff and you know I had a huge amount of responsibility and that was the, the the real sort of stuff that I talked about in interviews because I had this good balance of having those big co- cooperation experiences but also mixing that in with Steve who I went ro- rode in with this little van down to the construction site and had great chats with and stuff so it's um it's all about balancing it and making sure that you have that rounded experience so you can draw your conclusions and what your passions are from that having the chance again would you go for an apprenticeship because you said you're so happy with the hands-on experience and everything do you think that would have helped you more yeah so that's an interesting point um i wouldn't purely because even though i love my job now and it is very practical everything that I do on a daily basis I refer back to something that I was taught at university so the way that I I I enjoy learning the theoretics of it I enjoyed hearing about casting structures and composites and corrosion electrodes and how we can do that I enjoyed learning that and I think the best part for me is applying that science that I theoretically learn And of course, I I would recommend if you want to get into material science or materials engineering, that probably a university degree is the best way to do that. Um, But yeah, so even though the practical element of my job now is exactly what I loved, I wouldn't change the path that I did because at the time that was was right. And uh, also the facilities at the university that I was at is what gave me that that like drive to fix this problem for McLaren and do this dissertation and so yeah I would definitely stick to to university degree but that's a personal choice there's some incredible apprenticeships out there now who who do you think needs to focus on getting more people into STEM is it schools is it parents is it teachers is it universities is it jobs themselves trying to convince people to to get in that is a very good question. If I knew the answer, I would probably be rich. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, God, that's such a good question. I see it both ways. I mean, I'm an ambassador for a, a, a tech company, so I know the work and the hours that I'm putting in, but I see, when I go and speak to these students, I see the impact that both teachers and parents have and I think it's a shared responsibility. Um, teachers, obviously, some of the teachers I've worked with, they're doing fantastic stuff, getting ambassadors like myself in and showing the students about people who have recently left the educational system. This is what they're doing now because it's easy for them to relate to that. But I do think also that the parents have a huge part to play 
all the, the things that you can teach a, a student in school, when that student goes home and, you know, only dad helps them with the maths homework and mum, even though she's an accountant, I've, I've had this exact situation, mum's an accountant but won't help with the maths homework because that's just what dads do. <laughs> um, you know, this is, they need to make conscious uh, changes like that and uh, I think parents and teachers have an equal part to play. I can think back to my, my school experience and the most inspirational person I had was a, a, an IT teacher and he really changed the way that I looked at women in technology and stuff like that so yeah it, it's hard it's really really hard but I think they both can have such an influence on the student. What's the one bit of advice you'd give a young Ella um, or young Steve whoever it is uh, <laughs> looking to get into engineering? Oh that's a great question I would say there's so many things I could I could say but the thing that I haven't really discussed in this session would be do not worry about failing so at school now especially now probably more so than when I was back at school they put so much pressure onto exams and picking your choices at a really early age and I going through school I had such a worry about failing and getting a bad mark on a test or not doing what I had expected myself to do and that that pressure that I put on myself and the teachers put on you as well your parents may, might put on you as well um, really made me so scared of failing and throughout university getting my coursework in and stuff like that that was a similar vibe but when I came to McLaren actually it taught me that failing is a good thing and what we do here is we fail fast and learn quicker mm. they want you to fail they want you to pick yourself back up and you'll you'll notice as you go into interviews for um, assessment centers jobs work experience um, graduate placements whatever it may be they will ask a question that is related around failure and what you learned from it how you applied from it that whole process of failing is so important and if you've if you are a person who has never been through that and you've aced everything, then good for you. But actually, you don't have a lot to talk about and you don't have um, the experience on how you handle failure. So when you're put into a, a business, things will always fail. You know, projects won't go through. The test result isn't what you wanted it to be. You're going to have to think of something else. And it's always how you pick yourself back up from that. So if I could speak to my 15 16 year old self i would say do not worry about failing um you just do you and you figure out how you pick yourself back up from that because that is all that companies want to know um don't put all this pressure on and getting it right first time brilliant that is a very good answer and thank you with that, <laughs> i think we can we can wind up so thank you very much ella thanks for your time uh, it's been a pleasure Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Alain. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engineering Stories podcast. We hope it's given you some insight into another area of engineering. If you're still here at this point, we must be doing something right. So stay tuned for the next guest. And in the meantime, share this episode with your friends and family. And don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>